What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me on the other end of the, of the line, as he is on each and every show, is my co-host, Curtis. Uh, today on the show, obviously, it's the last show of the week, and it's game week, so it's going to be the full breakdown of our matchup with Mississippi State coming up this Saturday. We always, guys, we try our best to give you the most comprehensive breakdown of the games that you're going to find anywhere. I don't know how close we come to that, but that's definitely our goal, so we'll give it our best shot. But before we get there, just a few quick reminders for you guys. You can follow us on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. Uh, you can also uh, email us, so that's a little easier for you. That's uh, GloryUGAPodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts and analysis on the dogs. Also, any of your thoughts on the show, uh, any questions you have, feel free to send it to us anytime. You can also do that on our Facebook page, Glory UJ Podcast Facebook page. Um, and for some of our newer listeners, because I know there's a few new guys keep checking the show out here and there, uh, you can find our show on a bunch of different platforms. Obviously, you're listening to us from some platform or another, but if it's a little easier for you, you can check us out um, on the big ones, you know, iTunes, SoundCloud. You can also check us out on Dog Sports Radio. Um, you can also check us out on the Stitcher and TuneIn app. So check us out on any of those, whatever works for you guys. Uh, be awesome if you could rate, review, um, share the show, all that good stuff. We would definitely, definitely, definitely appreciate that. But uh, Kurt, man, let's go ahead. We've got a lot to talk about this game. So let's go ahead and move into the breakdown of our matchup with the Mississippi State Bizarro Dogs. All right, Kurt, I'm gonna, before we get into actual Georgia versus Mississippi State, I want to go back to the LSU game. We talked about this just for a second or two on Monday's show, but I think there's some relevance as it relates to the Mississippi State team that we're going to face on Saturday. You know, understandably so, the dominant victory over LSU in Starkville, that really opened some eyes, and you really understand why that did, because it was a dominant performance. Um, but it opened eyes to the point where you've got more than a few national pundits. You guys listen to the Sports Talk Radio this week. They're pushing Mississippi State as maybe the second-best team in the entire SEC. Uh, but there are those out there who are still kind of hesitant to jump on board in that bandwagon because they aren't really sure how good LSU really is. So, Kurt, I'm gonna ask, I asked this question to Will Hammond in the interview we posted, the Mississippi State beat writer from the Clarion Ledger. Uh, we posted that on Wednesday, so if you haven't heard that, go check that out. But I asked him this question. And I'm going to ask it of you because, like I said, I think it has some relevance when discussing Saturday's game between the hedges. So, Kurt, do you think Mississippi State's resounding victory over LSU, was that more of a function of LSU being overrated and overhyped in the preseason? Or was it more a function of Mississippi State being just that good? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, yeah, if you, But if you had to lean one way, which way would you go? I, I think, think you're uh, right. Being overrated. I mean, I do think Mississippi State's good. And I also think it's a perfect storm type thing where, you know, night game for, uh, is one of those things that just works out in their favor. But I honestly believe LSU is extremely overrated. Um, I even overrated them myself in my preseason outlook. I mean, the biggest thing when you really look at it is their quarterback, he's average. Average is great. That, and that's they, being very, very generous to him. Yeah, they have no true deep threat receivers. I mean, any other good receivers to left. Um, you have Chark, maybe, but that if – if he's even, a, I don't even know if he's a go-to guy, and if he is, he's all they have. Yeah, and I mean, Geis is a, probably one of the best, if not the best running backs in the SEC, but he can't do it on his own. Right, he's a you monster. You saw Leonard but... Fournette struggle trying to do it on his own. It's just not that. Well, he can do it on his own against lesser talented teams, but when you have a, yeah. any kind of defense has a pulse, he can't do it all alone. you got to have something. You have and something then not else. only that, but they don't have that much depth at that position, too. 
Very true. Very true. And their offensive line is very average. And Ooh, I mean, the defense, yeah. I think I think the defense is all right. But like we said, they had people thrown out. Arden Key was playing more than they wanted him to. That there defense lost much, so much off last year's team. People don't realize yeah, there that. there wasn't much depth on the defense side of the ball. And, you know, it's one of those things where when your defense is out on the field the whole time, what do you expect them to do? Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna give Mississippi State credit. You have to. That was yeah. that was a dominating I mean, that's performance. What I'm saying I want to give them credit. I'm not trying to take anything away from their win. I think they played solid football. I think you know they had a uh, raucous crowd with their uh, BS cowbells and things like that. This is so but, it's so ridiculous. I swear to God, yeah. if I see someone, if, if there's a, a cowbell near me in the stadium, uh, we're gonna have issues. I'll get yeah, security right away. That's the thing. I mean, it's just I mean nothing against them, but I think LSU was. Soundly overrated by all of us. Yeah, I, I, I think I definitely agree on that. And look, like I said, give them credit. Give Mississippi State credit. You don't look into a 30-point win, especially when you outgain a team 465 yards to 270 yards. But saying that, you do have to put that 30-point victory in its proper context if you really want to start drawing conclusions. If you want to be like a lot of the national pundits and start drawing the conclusion that now Mississippi State's the second-best team in the entire SEC, they're one of only two or three teams that can really challenge Alabama – if you want to start drawing those, conclu- those conclusions, that's fine. But to do so, please make sure you're putting that game in its proper context. Actually, I've watched the game outside of just you know turning on the score and say, "Oh, it's 37-7." Actually, watch that game because when you think of, like for context in here, think about LSU's offense. They for years, and it's still the same way. Even when Matt Canada is their new coordinator, supposed to change everything, they haven't changed anything. They still want to establish. It, it looks a little bit different, but the core philosophy is the same thing. They want to establish a physical downhill ground game and get into a rhythm with that ground and pound. When you get out to an early lead or you kind of keep the game close, that's fine. That can work. But when you get behind by a few scores, all of a sudden you're completely taken out of your game. You can't just lean on the ground and pound. And when your quarterback is Danny Etling, on top of that, you are in trouble. So LSU got behind at early in the second quarter because, well, they had two touchdowns called back by penalties. And those penalties had absolutely nothing to do with the result of the play. So it wasn't like, you know, guy pushes off as a receiver and makes a touchdown catch that otherwise wouldn't have made. Or there wasn't like a holding call that allowed that sprung Darius Geis that he wouldn't have been able to, to make other outside of the holding call. There wasn't a situation like that. They were penalties. They were borderline penalties anyway. And they had absolutely nothing to do with the result of the play. And they, I, I really do think they were both bad calls. But that happens in every game. But Mississippi State was able to capitalize on their opportunities. And as a result, they built a big lead. And when they did that... It completely took LSU out of their game plan. I mean, is Mississippi State better than LSU? Yeah, probably. Probably they are. But I don't think they're 30 points better than LSU. I think that was uh, one of those anomalies, just a matter of circumstances kind of coming together to to put together this huge 30-point win that has certainly caught people's attentions, has caught some eyes, but I'm not sure they're really that much better than LSU. I'm not sure. I don't know. See, here's the one thing I want to get into, you know, real quickly. Um... The thing was that if you look at their statistics, LSU didn't really – where they really shut them down was rushing. Um, in the first game against BYU, LSU had 296 yards rushing. In the second game against Chattanooga, they had 222. Well, they have 133 as a team. Right. Uh, and, but the thing is also I think if you look at the amount of plays they had, I mean, guys has 76 yards. Which you think it's all right. But he, he averaged 5.1 yards per Yeah, he only had like 16 carries or something. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like they got they got taken out of their game plan. When Mississippi State went up big, they went up 17-7 right before the half. And then they get a touchdown early in the third quarter. And then at that point, LSU's out of their game plan. They can't run the yeah, ball like that. that. You can't point, come you back. Can't run. They don't, they're, they're trying yeah. to score quicker, and that's right. not their game. 
and and that and that killed LSU. So I, if you know if, if Mississippi State hadn't scored that late touchdown, or if one at least one of those two touchdowns LSU scored doesn't get called back, all of a sudden they're still they're still in that game, and they can still lean on the run. They can still be that ground and pound rhythm type offense that they want to be. But when they were taken out of that, they had no chance. And it, Mississippi State, to their credit, capitalized on their opportunities and kind of ran away with it. But I don't like if they played ten times. I don't think that's going to happen ten times. It might happen one or twice, or one or one or two, one or twice, one or two times. Sorry about that, I'm an idiot. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this is a good Mississippi State team. But if you're just looking at LSU, that LSU game, and using that as your barometer as how good Mississippi State is, and you didn't actually watch the game, I know the thirty-seven to seven score that that does kind of like whoa, catch your eye there. But let's let's put the brakes on saying that Mississippi State's clearly the second best team in the league. And I know not everyone's I mean, saying that, but there are people say, saying that. Prognosticators that are saying this. Are the same people that said South Carolina was the clear cut to win the East? Oh yeah, especially after after they go into Missouri and win, you had uh, yeah, and then Missouri goes out and loses. Right. So so how good is Missouri? Yeah. How good is South Carolina? Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I mean, Mississippi State's a good team and they deserve respect. I'm not trying to completely disrespect them. I'm just trying to put that in its proper context here and not overreact to what happened in one particular game. And it, hey, maybe, who knows? Maybe they'll come out and just beat us all all up and down the field. Maybe they will. Maybe they and the proved once and for all they are for real. Maybe they will, but. In a one-game setting, anything can happen like that. And I, I, I just don't know if you can definitively draw this conclusion that Mississippi State is just that good. They're good, but I don't know if they're that good to where they're going to be competing for competing with Alabama for the SEC West. I don't know if I'm ready to go on that limb quite yet. I mean, I can't remember years before they beat LSU first game and then they go on to have an average year. I mean, yep, yep. It's all they won in Baton time. Rouge. They won in Baton Rouge because they hadn't. I mean, they hadn't beat. I think it's like nine consecutive times they hadn't. They had lost a They had lost LSU in Starkville. It was the first time in a while they had beaten them in Starkville. So yeah, I think that win was in Baton Rouge. All right, well, let's go ahead and move into uh, actually breaking down this particular matchup between the Bulldogs, the Eastern Bulldogs, and the Western Bulldogs. And we're going to do like we like, like we typically do. We look at the matchups here. We don't look at, okay, who's got the best quarterback, who's got the best set of running backs, because they don't necessarily match up with each other. We want to look, okay, Mississippi State has a good running game. Well, how does that match up with our rush defense? That's how we're going to attack this. So, Kurt, we're going to start there. Let's look at this Mississippi State rushing attack versus our rush defense. How do you see that matchup playing out? Um, the biggest thing is the matchup that's really going to decide the game when it comes to the rushing against our defense is going to be Nick Fitzgerald. Yeah, tell me about Nick Fitzgerald. What what makes this guy? Because you know he gets a lot of love, and I think I think he deserves the love. What makes him so effective in this Dan Mullen offense? Um, I mean, it's just the way he uses him. I mean, Dan Mullen has what he want, have what he needed to you know have this offense going. I mean, these are the type of guys he has. You know, more of like a Nick Marshall type person. I mean, he's and that's the thing. He, um, I think more like that, a Tim Tebow. He needs a Tim Tebow, Dak Prescott, guys who are mobile but are also big physical guys that can get the tough yards from the, between the tackles. A guy like that, right? Yeah. And he has that. I mean, because think about when Dan Mullins had success in Mississippi State. Okay, obviously with Dak Prescott, we all know what Dak Prescott's doing in the NFL, but he fits that profile of what he's looking for, like a Tim Tebow type, and Fitzgerald absolutely fits that profile. I mean. He was, and just to give you some numbers to give you an idea. I know, I know you guys probably know how that he's good, but this is a guy that he led the SEC in total offense a year ago as a first year starter, uh, and he didn't even start the first game of the year. Uh, but they they lost to South Alabama to open the season. They inserted him the second week, and he kind of took it from there. So he was first in the SEC in total offense, and was the second leading rusher in the league, just a hair under fourteen hundred yards, just a, like I think less than twenty yards behind Darius Guys to be the leading rusher in the league. Um, he is an ex- he. He's a big dude. He's like he's 6'5", 230 pounds. 
but that doesn't mean he's not explosive. He's not particularly nimble necessarily. He doesn't go out there and juke you out of your pants. No, the thing that makes him successful is the RPO. I, yeah, for for sure. But even though he might not look like he's the most explosive player in the world, once he gets going, he 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 can he can he can he can burn you absolutely. He had 51 rushes. He's had 51 rushes of 10 yards or more since going back to the beginning of 2016, which is the most in the SEC. So this guy he might not look like he's the most explosive player, but he pulls off explosive plays. He absolutely does. So what is it about him? You mentioned RPOs that makes him effective. I mean, it's just one of those things that what makes Auburn so effective is you. It's the way you play defense against them. Um, it's a numbers game. Uh, that's that's one hundred percent what it is. They're they're schematically. Let's talk about schematically for a minute here. This is what they want to do. Okay, they want to spread you out. To force you to remove defenders from the box, kind of like what Mizzou did last year. Yeah, they, exactly. They want to spread you out. They want you to. They want to force you to remove defenders from the box, and then they run power football right at you. It's similar to kind of what Gus Malzahn uh, did schematically at Auburn when he first got there. They spread you out and then run power football from those spread sets. And doing that from a spread set makes it very difficult. Because, like you said, it makes it very difficult to have the numbers advantage in the box against the run. Because if defensively. You have to flank out to cover the wide receivers that that flex out, or you're going to get burned. They'll turn around and throw it to those guys. So you have to you have to respect them and you have to cover them. And by, but by doing that, you are taking numbers out of the box. And, and if you have a quarterback who can run, that gives you a plus one scenario. Because then the, the guy who normally carries the ball, the tailback, all of a sudden now he becomes an extra blocker. And boom, plus one, and now you're just getting gashed by the run. And that's why that's one of the reasons like all those bunch sets we run. Sometimes they drive me crazy. Because when you crowd the box, when you run those spread sets, you crowd the box with defenders, and it makes it much easier for defenders to both cover the wide receiver and to fit against the run. They don't have that problem. They spread you out, they clean the box out, and you're going to have at most six guys in the box. And if you've got a running back who who's turning into a lead blocker because the quarterback's carrying the football, they got a numbers advantage all night long. And unless you consistently win one-on-one battles in the trenches, you're going to get gashed. So it's it, it's a very tough offense to defend. Um, and it, just a couple quick observations here, talking about their scheme. Breaking this team down for the first couple weeks, they always spread their wide receivers out. But there are moments where they will spread the wide receivers out. I'm talking outside, not just outside the hash. I'm talking by the numbers. And they kind of bunch the receivers together with uh, out there with really small splits. When they do that, when you guys see that, 90-plus percent of the time, it's going to be a run. The reason they're doing that is that that's their ultimate way to spread out defenses and create these giant runnings. The, 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 more, the closer they get their wide receivers out to the boundaries, to, to out-of-bounds, that means there's more room to create running lanes for their running backs. And that's So the, somebody's got out there and cover those receivers, and if they're out there, then they can't get back towards the line of scrimmage to help against the run game. So if you see something like that, which they'll throw out at us, it's going to be a run 90-plus percent of the time. And then... This year, they're kind of doing a little bit more going under center. Not a ton, but they're going under, under center more than they have. And when they do, again, 90-plus percent of the time, it's going to be a run. Nick Fitzgerald, as good as he is, is not a under center drop-back passer yet. They did throw one pass off of that look, an under center look against LSU, uh, after running that look time and time again. And that look was wide open for a touchdown. They had Keith Mixon, who's a slot wide receiver, a little dude like 5'8". He runs in like he's going to crack block somebody. And then he just darts out, and he was wide open. I mean, there wasn't anybody within 15, 20 yards of him. So they were almost setting that up all night long. So 
And if you see those two looks, receivers really spread out by the numbers with, with, with tight splits when they're out there, kind of bunched together, and under center looks, they're going to run at 90-plus percent of the time. And they run the ball about 65% of the time anyway, at least through the first three weeks. So that's definitely what they want to do. Uh, Fitzgerald, going back to him real quick, like he, Kurt, would you say he has great first, a great first step and great acceleration? Yeah. Yeah, he, he, again, he's kind of deceptive. For his size, you wouldn't think he's got good acceleration. But once he gets going, he he, he can accelerate. And he especially when he gets on the side, when he gets on the edges, the guy can absolutely accelerate. He's not particularly nimble. He's not elusive, really. He's not. That's that's something he's, that's not really part of his game. But he runs with great power. He runs with great leverage. And once he does get ahead of steam... He will get rolling, and he can outrun anybody. It, it's it's kind of it's crazy to watch. It really is a guy that big, 6'5", 230, being able to run like that. Uh, but the majority of his, his explosive plays, I mentioned he had 51. He's had 51 rushes of 10-plus yards since 2016, the most in the league. But the majority of those come when he gets on the edges. Now, don't get me wrong. He, he'll work between the tackles, but he's he's just trying to get three four yards here, three four yards there. And a couple of times he'll, he'll bust one here or there. But most of his, his explosive rushing plays – come when he gets on the edges. But to me, what makes him so dangerous? It's not necessarily those explosive plays. I mean, he, he'll hit those. He will. But it's those little three to four, five, six yards, whatever, those plays on first and second down that allow them to stay on schedule and ahead of the change. He's, he's just so big and so physical that when he runs those quarterback powers, he gets three to four yards just about every time. Every time. It's really hard to stop him. That's exactly what they want. They want to pick up enough yards on first and second down to kind of keep the chains moving until eventually they're going to bust a big play. And that's that's generally what they're going for. That's what's, what they're trying to do. Uh, they feature a lot of design quarterback runs. He, he's a guy, he will scramble, but that's not, he's not Johnny Manziel where the majority of his rushing yards come from the scramble. They got a lot of diversity in their run game. They run inside power, uh, outside power with Fitzgerald. They run speed option with him. They run zone read with him. And that makes their entire running game more effective. But it's important to know that to note that it's not just Fitzgerald. What do you see in Aris Williams, their their starting tailback, Kurt? What do you see in this guy? Um, he's average. Um, I think that together they're a good combo. But I yeah. wouldn't say, I mean, that he's one of the top running backs in the SEC. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Like, if you take him out of this spread power offense, okay, where you where you have Nick Fitzgerald that you can feature as a runner. And you put him in a, a true pro style offense, like I don't know, maybe what we have with a with a drop back quarterback or a pro style quarterback. He, he, you're right. He's an average running back, okay? Because you don't have anyone. You can't block defenders uh, without dedicating line, uh, a lineman to him. You can't take him out because you're optioning off him. You don't have that element in your game. You can't control the backside uh, player, the in man the line of scrimmage by optioning off him. You can't do that. He benefits from having a mobile quarterback, from having a dual threat quarterback in the backfield with him. Um, when you have a guy like that, when you have a Nick Fitzgerald, it makes Aris Williams or whoever is the tailback, it makes them more effective than they, than they otherwise would be because you have to account for the quarterback with the math in the box. It just creates more space for them. When the quarterback's a, a threat to take the ball and run, defenders have to account for that, which when you when you dedicate one or two defenders to account for the quarterback, that's one or two less defenders that would be focusing on the tailback as they would otherwise. So I do think that makes him more effective. But right now, I mean, the dude's the second leading rusher in the league. Through three games, he's a second-leading rusher in the league. He's averaging 5.6 yards a carry. He's a bigger guy, too, uh, 6'1", about 220. He's more of a power back. He doesn't have a ton of speed. He's not overly dynamic. But you match him with Fitzgerald, 
and he fits this offense really well. This kind of power spread scheme. It, it, it's it's a good fit. It's a good fit, and he does a good job for them. Uh, but how how equipped how well equipped are we to slow down this offense? Um, that's the thing. I actually think we're better equipped to slow down this offense. I mean, if you watch the uh, the um, replays of the LSU game, more than anything, what I saw was misassignments. A lot of um, yeah. laziness, um, and that's what I saw. I mean, just a and lot they were of on the field a lot, like you mentioned earlier. So that wears on you, and you lose and guys that you, your depth LSU isn't there. Well, well, I think their defense is all right. I don't know if they have the speed we have. Especially I, I'll, a linebacker. I'll say it right now. I mean, up, you, which is what makes up for a lot yeah. of what they try to do with Fitzgerald getting to the edge and things. Yeah, you can call me a homer all you want. No, Arden Key's a really good player. He hasn't been himself this year because he was coming off a of shoulder surgery. But call me a homer. Our our defense is definitely better than LSU's this year. I mean, especially with the definitely, level. At least Lorenzo this year, can, they are. Yeah, if Lorenzo can keep playing at the level he is, then we are. There's there's no doubt in my mind. They lost too much. You lose Jamal Adams. You lose Tredavious White. You lose Duke Riley. You lose all those. You, you lose Kendall Beckwith. Yeah, you might be, be able to replace one or two of those guys. You've got some talented guys you've been recruiting, but you're not going to replace all those guys in one year. We're going to be facing something like that next year, so that's somewhat concerning for me down the road. But this year, no way, man. We're definitely a better defensive football team than LSU is. No doubt about it. Um, but I'm kind of with you, man. Like As good as Mississippi State is at running the football, and guys, they are very, very good at running the football. That is what they do about 64 65% of the time. I do think that we are equipped to not necessarily shut them down. That's that's a little overly optimistic. I mean, the thing right. is, if you watch the plays, they score touchdowns on. Okay, the two passes were blown coverages. Um, well, that, and those were complete. There was a play action where LSU was completely selling out against and, the and, run. And, and also, you also have to put in mind is this is after two ejections. Yep, after two ejections. Another guy goes down with an injury on the defensive line. Yeah. But and I, those two big passing plays, the rest, I mean, the two rushing touchdowns they had were just uh, power, the power RB, uh, you know, power quarterback keeper, which Mullins run forever. That's what they do. But just, you know, as we said, Fitzgerald just getting on the edge and just scoring on an easy little couple-yard run. Yep, that's what they do. So, I mean, like, I don't think, like, saying we're going to shut them down, like, that's a little overly optimistic. But we, like you, like you said, Curly, we can definitely keep them in check. Okay, we can I slow mean, them it's down. Keep Roquan and Lorenzo on the field, and I think we'll see something with Lorenzo at inside linebacker at times, especially in passing situations where instead of blitzing, he's going to be spying and allowing yeah. uh, Roquan and him both to either focus on the tight end or running back. Where you'll see, I think you'll see Roquan take the running back, and that leaves um, Lorenzo to spy yeah. on Fitzgerald. Yeah, and if I had to, if I had to pinpoint one key to this game, there's several things that I think are going to be important, but one, the probably the biggest key that I'd point to. It's kind of like with Notre Dame. Our defensive line is going to have to play lights out. We're going to have to win one-on-one battles in the trenches, and we're going to have to nice control the game. I'm actually – I cannot explain to you how excited I am when I saw the news that he was going to be ready to play this week. Because when he was out last week, I was like, dude, that makes me uncomfortable playing Mississippi State. We're going to need all the help we can get on that defensive line. Because we're going to have to win some one-on-one battles because they're, they're going to have the numbers advantage on us throughout most of the game. And to counteract that, you've got to be able to win one-on-one battles or else you're going to have to dedicate additional – defenders in the box and you do that then you you open yourself up to being attacked through the air so i think if we can win some of those one-on-one battles and we're not going to win them every single play but we if we can win enough of them uh i think we can we can at least somewhat control the game and that could give us the edge here so that's a very big key to this game can our defensive line hold their own 
against this power rushing attack. And I think we can. We have, I think what really helps us is the depth and versatility we have in the front seven. It allows us to play situational football. Uh, if We can mix and match based on the situation and their tendency. So if we want to go heavy on first down because we feel like it's a heavy rundown for them, Fine, you can put John John Atkins in there. Um, you can throw Julian in there. You can throw Trent in there. Uh, you can throw uh, David Marshall and Ledbetter in at the five tech. But if you get in some of those passing situations where their tendency is more so to go to the air, then you can put some of your speed guys in there. You can get Lorenzo in there, obviously. He'll be in there almost the entire game anyway. You can get DeAndre Walker in there. Uh, you can slide Tyler Clark a little bit in there. Uh, you can even get Justin Young in there in some situations. We just have a lot of guys and they can, they fill different roles in the front seven. You can slide. You can take Ledbetter in from the five tech and slide him down inside in some of those passing downs. I think that's going to play in our favor here. Kind of allow us to play some situational football, and match up with them. And the guys we have are not only are they versatile, they're just talented. Okay, I, I think we're more talented on defense right now than LSU, than LSU is at least for this one year. I'm I'm going to say that I absolutely do. So I think that we might have an edge there versus what they faced last week. All right, let's look at the pass game here. Let's go Mississippi State's passing game versus our pass defense. Who does this matchup favor, in your opinion, Kurt? I think it favors us because they don't have a true number one threat. I 100% agree with that. I really do. Fred Ross was that guy. After what we've done against St. Brown and people like that, the fact that they have no true number one guy, which, you know, when I say number one guy, I'm talking about, like, you know, 6'2 to 6'4 guy that can go up and a get Mike ball. Williams from Clemson from last year. Yeah, like exactly. That. Someone that big game time, you throw it deep, and he's going he's gonna to go up and take it he away. Can, he can win those they don't balls. have that, which is what makes me not as scared because then, you know, it looks like Malcolm Parrish will play and people like that. That plays in better to us because that's a better matchup for our sure. guys. You're yeah, talking about the size of the wide receivers. I mean, they're three, the three leading receivers right now in terms of yards – Game throughout the first three games is got Donald Gray. He was probably gonna be he was the he is the number one guy. It's, he was gonna be their number their go to guy coming into the season. Uh, he's he's five ten. Then you got Keith Mixon caught a touchdown pass. He's five eight. You got Dedrick Thomas who's five nine. Those are the three top receivers right now. They do have Fraud Green at tight end who's a pretty good tight end. He's six three two thirty one. Those kind of new age hybrid guys can, that can be a threat in the receiving game. But you're right, the wide receivers, they just don't have the size out there, and that kind of plays into our hands a little bit. What about Fitzgerald as a passer? As good as he is as a runner, what do you what do you see in him as a passer? Very average. I mean, people complain about what Eason, his percentages. I mean, Fitzgerald is way, you know, a little bit lower, and he usually has more wide open guys things to the system. Yeah, Nick Fitzgerald. Exactly. He's he was less efficient than Jacob Eason was last year, and that's and I know that was last year. So this is a different year, but we're three weeks into the season, and I do think that Fitzgerald has improved as a passer this year. It's it's hard to draw again too many conclusions through three weeks through three weeks, but. You're seeing him do some things uh, as a passer that he right now that he didn't do as much last year. I mean, last year, the guy only completed 54% of his passes. He only threw for uh, 2,400 yards last year, 6.7 yards per attempt. Didn't throw a ton of picks, a 21 to 10 touchdown interception ratio, which is pretty solid. But the 54% completion percentage, that's terrible. I mean, that's that's terrible. That's worse than Eason. Uh, but, I mean, he, he, so he has improved, but in no way is Fitzgerald ready to beat a team as a pure drop-back passer. If you make him a drop-back passer – they will lose. He is not equipped to do that at this stage in his career. Maybe down the road he has improved. If he keeps improving, maybe he will, he'll get there down the road. But right now, no way. No way. Uh, he still has to kind of, like you mentioned, he has to lean on the advantages that his legs give him in the passing game. So, you know, when teams have to dedicate additional guys to the box, well, he sees a lot of one-on-one coverage. He sees a lot of single high safety looks, which defense, which means basically defenses can't run a lot of exotic coverages out of that. So it's easy reads, and they call a bunch of easy reads from a lot of the RPOs. So 
he leans on the advantage that his legs give him. He still does that a lot. But he can hit an open receiver. When the receivers get open, regardless of how they get open schematically, if they get open, he can hit them, okay? Uh, he's not the most accurate pass in the world, but he's going to hit a wide-open guy. Um, he is making better decisions, and he seems to have better pocket awareness, but again, he's still not ready to beat a team as a pure drop-back passer. Um, and, and just looking at schematically what they try to do in, in their passing game, when they take vertical shots, the vast majority of the time, they take those off of play action. because Again, they, they run the ball 64 65% of the time. They are a spread-to-run team, power-running team, just doing out of spread sets. Uh, so when they take their shots down the field, they do it off play action. And, but outside of those those rare vertical shots, they are primarily a controlled passing team. They try to get the ball in their playmakers' hands in space. And those young, those uh, shorter, smaller, shiftier guys, Gray, Mixon, Thomas, and, uh, and kind of move the change that way. And then and hope eventually they'll hit one of those shots down the field off play action. But I'm with you, man. I think we match up pretty well here. They don't have any receivers that really scare me whatsoever. They have some good, those guys are good, no disrespect, but you're, you're right. They don't have a true number one wide receiver that just scares the hell out of you when the ball's in the air in a 50-50 ball at all. So I think I think this, I mean, at, at worst, it's a draw, it's a push, but I, I think it will at least slightly favor us. All right, now let's look at, if you're a defensive coordinator, Mel Tucker, what do you do from a defensive perspective to, to try to slow this Mississippi State team down? What is your defensive game plan coming into this game? Similar to what we did against North, uh, I mean, not uh, Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, Notre Dame. Uh, a lot of you know stunts on the defensive line. While with the stunts, you have some guys going inside. Well, I think we're going to have to have the guys outside to try to force Fitzgerald in on uh, his RPOs and his runs. Yeah, I think any any defensive coordinator worth his salt. What you do is you have to take away what the offense does best and force them to beat you with their left hand, so to speak, You know, with their non-dominant hand. And for Mississippi State, their strength is the power run game. So you have to first and foremost try to take that away. You can't stop everything, so you've got to try to stop what they do best. Take that away from them and force them to beat you, like I said, with their left hand. So for me, to stop their power run game, what you do is you try as much as possible similar to what you said, to keep our base personnel on the field, which for, which is three defensive linemen, two outside linebackers, and two inside linebackers. You keep them on the field as much as you possibly can, like we did against Notre Dame, to challenge that run game. Now, this it, it does become a challenge to do that when Mississippi State goes to four wide sets because if you play man coverage in against four wide sets when you with your base personnel on the field, Lorenzo is going to have to cover one of those wide receivers man-to-man. And, uh, I mean, Lorenzo's a really versatile playma- uh, playmaker on defense, but I don't know if he's equipped to hold up in man-to-man consistently against some of these slot-wide receivers. And on the other hand, if you choose to go zone behind your base personnel, then what you do is you open up passing windows. So it's easier said than done, but similar to what we did against Notre Dame, you got to take away what they want to do. Notre Dame wanted to use the, the running game. Look at what they did to, to Boston College last week, okay? Over 200 yards rushing from the quarterback position and from the tailback position. That's what they want to do. They wanted to do that against us, but we were able to go with our base person on the field, and Lorenzo's, he's, uh, he's adept enough to cover. He's, he's functional enough out there covering in space to where when you have a quarterback who's not really a, a super proficient passer like Brandon Wimbush, then you, you, you can be fine with those looks. And so it remains to be seen if we'll be able to, to stay in that very long with Fitzgerald because if he can, if he can hit some balls unlike... Wimbush, 
they'll throw us out of that. And if they can throw us out of it, then it becomes an issue. But I think you have to try to force him to do that. Start with your base person on the field, very similar to what we saw against Notre Dame, and see if Fitzgerald can, can make you pay. If he can't, then it's going to be a long night for the Mississippi State offense like it was for the Notre Dame offense in South Bend. So we'll see if that happens. You get, you have, you, we might have to adjust that, but I think that's what you come out uh, trying to do early on. All right, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball here. When we are on offense, let's look at the matchup of our rushing game versus the Mississippi State rush defense. How do you see that one playing out? Um, I think this is going to decide the game from our offensive aspect. Of Absolutely. Because they have some big guys up front, and it's really going to come down to how we attack them. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you, man. Slowing Fitzgerald down, slowing him down concerns me. But I think we're at least equipped to keep him from dominating the game. But it's this matchup, man. It's this matchup of our offensive line versus the state front seven that, at least initially, concerned me even more than Fitzgerald. So what is it about that matchup that has you all all hot and bothered and concerned? I mean, really, just the way our offensive line has played and the fact that they have some bigger bodies, which is what has given us trouble. But I don't know if they have the huge bodies. I mean, they, they have, Jeffrey Simmons is about 300 pounds. Uh, they, they, well, I think Simmons is the guy who's going oh, to decide the game. So he's the dude. I mean, he, he is their, he's their stud on the defensive line. He plays I mean, here's the thing. I think other than Simmons, their D-line and linebackers, they're other, okay. than, other than Simmons and Leo Lewis, they're, the rest of the players are above average. Yeah, they're pretty good. That's what I would say. They're pretty good. And they got a couple. Of ju- they they really lean on the JUCO ranks. They got all those Mississippi, Mississippi uh, junior colleges out there. Uh, and they lean on those. I think like twenty plus guys on their roster right now from those Mississippi junior colleges. They got a couple of them that play on the defensive uh, front seven there. But I, I'm with you. Like initially, I was really concerned about this matchup, and I and I'm not like I'm not optimistic about it. But after watching the tape and breaking down the Mississippi State team throughout the week. I've grown less concerned about this matchup. I mean, don't get me wrong. You are right about Jeffrey Simmons. And for those of you guys who are watching the game and aren't familiar with Jeffrey Simmons, he's number 94. Uh, he's a straight-up playmaker at nose guard, okay? But he's he's not your typical nose guard. When I think nose like true nose guards, you think – remember big John Jenkins years ago? Those kind of guys. Mount Cody from Alabama. But Simmons is not that. He's 6'4", 300, which is a big dude, but it's not that big for – your traditional nose guard, but what he what he makes up what he lacks in uh, typical size that position he makes up for with exceptional quickness and he plays very physically. He does a fantastic job striking blockers and controlling them with his hands. Plays with really good leverage, and he is very disruptive. But he's disruptive not so much because he dominates physically, but it's because he's just so quick and can blow up plays in the backfield or harass quarterbacks in, in passing situations. But um, like. Our, you're, you, you and I talk about this all the time. What gives our offensive line trouble is size on the defensive front, right? Yeah. And I'm not sure Mississippi State has that. Again, they're too deep. They have a couple guys right at 300 pounds, but they range pretty much between 270 and 300. I mean, we know our line has size deficiency. We average 298 yards, not 298 yards, 298 pounds across the offensive line. And what gives us issues dating back to last year is size and the defensive line. And Mississippi State's not necessarily small, but they're not overly big either. So because of that, I'm not as concerned as I was when I watched uh, the LSU game uh, the first time around. I mean, they, they clearly have some players. Simmons, uh, Montez Sweat, a Juco guy, Gary Green. They do, they, those guys do a good job setting the edge. Leo Lewis has good speed and athleticism at inside linebacker, but... Like as as athletic as Leo Lewis is, 
I don't know if he's shown that he's an overly aggressive, true downhill linebacker or really particularly instinctive yet. He's still more of an athlete than anything. He's good, but I don't. He's not Roquan Smith. Right? He's just not that. I mean, you might want to say some people might want to compare him to Roquan because of his speed and athleticism, but he's not a. He hasn't shown me to have that aggressiveness to be able to play downhill, and he hasn't really shown great instincts yet. Um, but I, I'm not crazy concerned. What about our running backs? Is this a game where our running backs can have have big games and really kind of help us I win this football game? I think we're going to be able to flash them. I think it's just a, what what we run out of. If we spread them out, try to do things like we did against Notre Dame, where you get people in motion, get the safety linebacker out of the box. Yeah, I, this is a game where I'm curious to see what Jim Cheney pulls out of his hat here. Actually, yeah, I mean, this is I, I believe this will be Jay Fromm's true. I mean, yeah, he got tested at Notre Dame, but this is going to be a real, real test. Because, yeah. as we know, Grantham, you know, as the good and the bad we had with him, the guy can draw up plays. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, Grantham, you, know, you get the whole third and Grantham situation. We all know that. But, I mean, he keeps getting jobs because he has had some success. He hasn't been a dominant defense coordinator, but he's had some good success where he's gone. And so far this season, he's turned that Mississippi State defense around. Now, it's early in the season. The competition level will ever remains to be seen. But uh, they've, they've been improving where they were at this time last year. Um, but I, I think our running backs can can have a big impact I on this game. So. I think it's gonna, what's going to be important is Sony. Yeah, absolutely. Here's my thing, okay? We talked about this the past couple weeks with Nick. It's going to be very important in this game for our running backs to make guys miss in the hole and in the second level. Because I'm not sure 20 points is going to win this one like it did against Notre Dame. Uh, and if we're going to put some points up on the board – we're going to have to break some explosive runs off. And that really is it's all about making tacklers miss in space and then wide receivers blocking downfield. That's how the how explosive runs happen. The line gets you 5, 10 yards. But then once you get to the second level, it's up to the running back to make guys miss. It's up to the wide receivers to block downfield. And we haven't seen that consistently. We saw a little bit more from Chubb last week, which was very encouraging. But if, if we're going to win this game and score enough points to win, I think those guys are going to have to make some guys miss, whether, whether it's – Put a move on somebody, whether that's stiff arming, just flat out running through arm tackles, whatever it is, we're going to have to make guys miss on a consistent basis. All right, let's look at the last matchup here. Let's look at the passing game, our passing game, versus the Mississippi State pass defense. You brought Jake Fromm in the equation there in that last segment. What do you think about this matchup? Can can Jake Fromm do enough to keep Mississippi State honest? Um, I think he can do enough, but we're, we're going to have to do more than just uh, intermediate passing. I mean, yes. we did complete the nice long pass against, um, you know, Sanford, but we're going to have to do more of that, more than just one yes. of those. It's going to have to happen multiple times. Yes, I agree. I mean, on the surface, this is not a good matchup for us. If you look at just based on the numbers, right now, right now, through three games, Mississippi State is ranked sixth nationally in passing defense, only giving up 105 yards a game. And on the season... Fromm hasn't thrown for more than 165 yards in any of the first three games, okay? Now, he's a true freshman. We all know that. But still, looking at those numbers, like, oh, yeah, this might be a mismatch in favor of Mississippi State. But, again, you got to put this in context. Those Mississippi State pass defense numbers are somewhat, at least, skewed by the fact that Charleston Southern is just terrible. And they only threw for 15 yards against Mississippi State. And that really skewed the numbers. And Jake's numbers are skewed by the fact that he just hasn't been given all that many opportunities. He only threw the ball 15 times in week one, 13 times last week against Sanford. So, yeah, he hasn't thrown for a ton of yards, but he also hasn't put the ball in the air all that much because uh, he's a he's a young guy. Coaches want to get him more familiar with the system, want to trust him a little bit more. So you can look at the numbers. They might tell you one story, but put in the proper context, and I don't know how, how many conclusions you can draw from those numbers. 
Uh, but looking at just watching them play, eye test-wise, their cornerbacks and safeties, they aren't particularly impressive or dominant, are they? Um, no, not really. I mean, I think Abrams is good, but... In coverage, I like. I think Jonathan Abrams, and if you guys remember, if that name sounds familiar, if you're not aware of this, that's Jonathan Abrams who played for us as a freshman, then transferred, went to JUCO, and now he's at Mississippi State. And he's, he, plays, he doesn't necessarily start every game, but he plays a lot of downs for them. But I think he's more effective as like a box safety. I, putting him out in coverage against a wide receiver, I like our chances. I mean, that's when he killed us is when we had to rely on him to cover people. Yeah, when you put in a man coverage, I like our chances. I really do. I mean, they're solid. Don't get me wrong. You don't hold the first three opponents to 105 yards passing a game if you're not at least solid. They are. But they don't. Ha- it's not like they have anyone that's going to take away half the field or anything. They don't have a guy like that. They're they're pretty good. They're okay. There's nothing that scares me, nothing that leads me to believe that we can't have some success against them through the air. I absolutely think this is a matchup we can win. I really do. Despite what the numbers may tell you, I absolutely think this is a matchup we can win. But like you said, I think it's going to come down to whether or not they can consistently affect and disrupt from. I mean, we all know Grantham. Like he, he's, he's likely to sell out against the run on first down, try to get us behind the chains. And if he's successful doing that, he's going to throw exotic coverages and pressures at from. And it's hard to know how Jake's going to react to that. Uh, it's really hard to know. I... We'll see. I, I, you guys know I love Jacob. I have faith in him. But he hasn't been put in a situation like that I mean, somewhat against Notre Dame, but not to the degree that, that Grantham yeah, might. I mean, they weren't creating that much pressure to what no, I they think weren't. Uh, Mississippi State's going Grantham to. is going to bring the house at him. Okay, not everybody I mean, down, but he's, 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 he's going to throw some stuff at him. And that's, that's concerning a little bit. And yes, we would be remiss if we did not mention that there is at least an outside possibility that Jacob Eason could maybe, I don't know, kind of possibly – start this game against Mississippi State on Saturday night. Look, I don't really think that's going to happen. Um, I would actually be uh, very excited if that did end up happening, but I don't know if his health is quite there. Yes, he has been out at practice doing a few things this week, but earlier in the week he was working uh, behind both Jake Fromm and Bryce Ramsey. I'm sure he's gotten a little, a few more reps as the week has gone on as he's felt a little more comfortable with his leg and he's progressed a little bit more and he's been cleared to do a little bit more. But I just don't think it's realistic right now to expect him to come back this week after just getting back to practice. And while he's been cleared to at least do some things at practice, we don't know how much he's been cleared to do. And it's hard to imagine that he's been cleared to, to go full go right now, especially, as I said, judging off the fact that he was working uh, behind both Fromm and Ramsey in practice. And yes, Kirby's been asked about this in press conferences, but he's not going to tip his hand one way or the other. He's done his best to downplay it and say he'll make the decision when the time comes. And doesn't seem to be the time this week, uh, but hey, look, he's we're not going to know with any degree of certainty until uh, Saturday night comes here and, and we go, our offense goes out there for their first snap. Even in pregame warm-ups when they announce starting lineups, I wouldn't even go off that. Uh, but I do think Fromm's going to end up being the guy. I think it's more likely that Eason will be ready to go against Tennessee. I think I always thought that Mississippi State would be the earliest possible game, and that was as optimistic as it could possibly be. So, I don't think he'll be the guy. Uh, all right, let's look at the offensive game plan here. So we talked about what you would do if you're Mel Tucker coming to this game from a game plan perspective. If you're Jim Chaney, how do you approach this game plan coming into the sa- the game um, Saturday I'm night? I'm actually going to come out throwing on first down. Yes, That's exactly I what I have on first on first drive would be on the first uh, you know on the first couple of plays would be smart because like you said he's going to bring the house and try to get you behind the chains and get Jake in an un- uh, uncomfortable situation. That's why I think screens. 
maybe some uh, slips out of the backfield, RPOs, things like that are going to have to be thrown on the first downs. Yeah, obviously the worst thing that could happen to us offensively in this game is to get stuffed on first and second down and find ourselves in third and eight, third and nine, third and ten situation on a consistent basis because that's playing right into Todd Grantham's hands. If he has us in those situations, he's going to be licking his chops. And that is not a situation we want Jake Fromm in right now at this point in his career. So I am totally with you. I have that written down in my notes here. I really think we need to throw it on early downs in this game and even take a few vertical shots. I like your idea of screens, just kind of get pick up yards where you can get them, keep the chains moving, but take a few vertical shots too to challenge them and to try yeah, to I mean, loosen up that box. Vertical shots, but I definitely think on first downs when you know they're going to bring the house trying to stop you. I think those are because if you see too many times teams try to run, try to run it on third down. Yep. I think bringing it out on first down would be even yep. better. Yep, I absolutely agree. But I think you're right, too. First down's a time to make a deep shot before you're pu- fully behind where they know it's coming. Take them. Take those shots, man. Because I'm telling you right now, Grantham is going to give us loaded box looks on early downs, and we are going to have to take those shots and try to loosen him up. That's what we're going to have to do. And if we can do that, if we can get to where we get even, like, just even numbers in the box, I feel like we are good enough to run the football in those situations. But if we're outnumbered, not so much. If, if we're outnumbered in the box because we can't challenge them down the field in the passing game, uh, we're not going to be able to run the football, and then we're, we're going to get completely stifled. It's going to be the LSU game all over again for, Miss, for this Mississippi State defense. So I think it's going to be a, another key to this game is going to be Jake Fromm in the passing game hitting some of those vertical shots. Receivers got to get open. Fromm's got to put it on them, and they got to catch the freaking football. If we can do that, then I really like our chances to put some points up on the board against this Mississippi State team. All right, let's uh, quickly here. We talked about a couple of things that we like about our matchups here in this game. But, Kerr, if you had to pick one reason, what's the biggest reason for optimism you have for our chances coming into this game? Um, why? I'm... Yeah, wh- why, why are you – give me one reason why you're optimistic we have a chance to win this football game. History. I think Mississippi State has shown that they can win big games, but they have never put it together fully. And I think um, looking at you know what they have, I think they've been playing a little above what where they should have been this past year. Yeah. Well, for me, going back to the LSU game, okay, I know this we're not LSU, but what happened at LSU game, I think, can be instructive in terms of what we can do on Saturday night. And in that LSU game, in my opinion. It wasn't so much that Mississippi State just flat out stopped them. LSU had plenty of chances to put up some serious points. They didn't. They only scored seven. They had chances. They had two touchdowns called back, like I said, on penalties that had absolutely nothing to do with the play. If those penalties had not been committed, they still would have scored touchdowns. But the plays got called back. They had uh, plays where Mississippi State got beat. On 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 both those touchdown plays, Mississippi State got beat. But they got bailed out. Then the LSU also had at least two other plays where they, again had Mississippi State beat for either a touchdown or a big play that would have set up a score, but they only dropped but they dropped the pass. A couple of plays like that. They just didn't convert. LSU just did not convert when they had opportunities. So to me, again, just me, LSU only scoring seven points in that game was far more about LSU than it was Mississippi State. Mississippi State's defense is good. Okay, don't I'm not trying to say they're not. They are a good unit but they aren't a dominant unit like some are trying to make them out to be. So they stopped LSU. Whoopee. Everyone stops LSU. Yeah, I mean, everyone. That's why Les Miles got fired. Look at Alabama. I mean, every time they play LSU, LSU scores maybe seven points. That's why, that's why Les Miles got fired, okay? It was offensive issues. And so, so like I said, that's relevant to our game Saturday because I believe, like LSU, 
we are going to have plenty of chances for big plays and scoring opportunities. And to me, that's a reason for optimism. Those opportunities will be there. We just have to be better than LSU and convert when those opportunities present themselves. We can't let them, we can't waste them. We've got to take advantage of them. So, yeah, we've got to take advantage of them, but I still think those opportunities are going to present themselves. And to me, that's a reason we have to pitch. I think we have talent. I think we have guys that can make some plays. All right, let's flip around the other side here, Kurt. So that's a reason for optimism. What would be your biggest reason for concern in this matchup? Um, I think the biggest thing is Jake Fromm right now. Um, that's I exactly think, what well, I, I think he can do it. I think just the, the, the situation. I mean, Notre Dame, he got very lucky with with the fact that it wasn't a true away game situation, I think this is going to be a lot of the best defense he's faced. I think that's a fair statement to me. I do, I do think this is the best defense he'll have faced to date. I, I do agree with that. And I, man, you're like in my brain here. That's exactly what I've written down. It's, my biggest reason for concern is is Jake Fromm. Uh, and is he ready to consistently make big plays in the passing game? You guys know I love Jake Fromm, okay? I am fanboy of Jake Fromm. I'm the president of, of his fan club. But I, I, I still, I'm right now at this stage in his career. I'm concerned. I, I have questions. I'm not saying he can't do it, but I have questions about whether or not he's ready to consistently make big plays in the passing game. He can hit one here or there. He's shown that. But can you do it consistently? We were. Let's be real, guys. We were fortunate to get out of South Bend with a win, despite them loading the box with numbers all night and us failing to hit anything down the field until that pass to Wims in the fourth quarter that kind of set up that score. We were fortunate to get out of South Bend with a win. We were. But we did, okay? We did We did what we had to do. But that wasn't about offense. That, that wasn't about Jay Fromm. That was about our defense playing lights out. I'm not sure we can score enough to win this game if Fromm doesn't hit, like you said, Kurt, multiple balls down the field to loosen up that defense. We've seen glimpses from him, but we haven't seen it consistently. I believe in Jay Fromm. I do. But we need to see it. We need to see it this week. Because I think his ability to throw the ball down the field is going to be a big key in this game. All right, guys. uh, Let's go ahead and transition into our picks of the week. We're going to change up a few things with our picks starting today, this week. Uh, We typically only pick straight-up winners. But in the process of doing that, it kind of it's a great situation where our picks have just been far too similar. We're basically in the same teams. Kurt and I, we have very few differences. And that's just boring. So starting this week... We're going to pick both against the spread and straight up. Uh, and so through three weeks, we're, we're, it's tight here. I'm 12-5 and five straight up through three weeks, and Curtis is 11-6. and six. So we are right there, at least according to my calculations. So, Curt, a little bit different this week, man. We're going to go ahead and jump in here. And we're going to start with Alabama, an 18-and-a-half-point favorite at Vanderbilt. So, first, Curt, obviously I, I'm guessing you're picking Alabama straight up, right? Yeah. All right. So, who are you picking with the spread here? Is Alabama cover, or, or is Vandy gonna? Is that too many points to give Vandy here? I, I think yeah, I'm a good, I think Alabama's gonna cover. Man, I, at first I was saying Vandy, but I'm with you. I'm going Bama. Um, Bama's gonna win the game, and I'm taking them and the points. Look, Vanderbilt's defense is physical and disciplined. I think their defense is good enough to keep this game close for maybe a half before getting worn down. But the Bama offense is still a work in progress under new offense coordinator Brian Dayball. It is. It's still a work in progress. But here's the thing. Vanderbilt's just not going to score much, if at all, against this uh, Alabama defense. So, yeah, I know that's, that's kind of a big number, but uh, I'm going to take Bama here. They cover the 18.5. I'm with you on that one. All right, next one here. Florida 
minus two and a half, two and a half point favorite at Kentucky. So first off, who you got straight up? I think I'm still gonna go Florida. Florida straight up. Kentucky looked pretty good against South Carolina. Why are you going? They don't have a chance. Um, I just, I just, I'm just not high on Kentucky. I think South Carolina was overrated. Yeah. I don't think Kentucky's that good. I mean, I guess coming into last week, we talked about this on last week's preview show. The first two weeks of the season against Southern Miss and Eastern Kentucky, Kentucky had outgained both those teams by a combined eight yards. Now they beat South Carolina, but again, how good was South Carolina? Because they because they beat Missouri at Missouri. How good's Missouri, right? Uh, and Debo Samuel goes out in the third quarter of that game. That completely changed the complexion of that game. So yeah, I'm with you. I don't think Kentucky's that great. And oh by the way, uh, it's been thirty years now. And Kentucky still hasn't beaten Florida. 30 years running. 30 years running. And Florida is, again, the more talented team. So I'm not sure this is the year. I know it's at Kentucky at the newly dubbed Kroger Field. Um, but, man, I yeah, I'm going Florida here to win straight up and to cover. They cover the two and a half? Yeah. Okay. They cover the two and a half. I'm with you. God, dude, it's the same thing all over again. All right, what about this one? This is an interesting game. All right, Auburn is the heavy favorite at they're at Missouri. They're still the heavy favorite. They're giving nineteen and a half points to Missouri. So first off, I'm guessing you have Auburn straight up. Yes. All right. Do they cover the nineteen and a half? I don't think they do. Ooh, why not? Missouri's got enough in the tank. I think after after this last game, the embarrassment. I think they'll try to keep it respectable. I mean, in all honesty, I know it's year two under that coach, but he is not, you know, yeah. he's under some pressure. Yeah, Odom's, oh, Barry, Barry Odom's under some pressure, man. I mean, well, the whole the whole university, it's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster. All right, I'm taking Missouri in the points, man. Auburn, I'm picking Auburn to win straight up. I, I'm with you, man. Like, I, I'm probably going to regret this, but I'm going to ride this Missouri train off a cliff. That's what's going to happen. I'm taking Missouri in those points. Uh, look, Auburn's going to win the game. But I think Missouri's going to score enough to keep it within the three-touchdown mark. I really do. I'm, I'm not sure the Auburn offense, as bad as Missouri's defense is, I'm still not sure the Auburn offense is ready to put up huge points on anyone. Right now, they're only 100th in the nation scoring offense and 83rd in total offense. So, they're, I mean, it's it's not been a smooth transition to Chip Lindsey. They're trying to merge Chip Lindsey and Gus Malzahn's two offenses, and that has not been very pretty to this point. Uh, and I'm curious if at some point, Malzahn just throw his hands up and say, all right, Chip, do your thing. Because I think that's when they will become dangerous. But, you know, Malzahn, he's an egomaniac, and I don't know if he's ever going to do that. But, yeah, I'm with you, man. Uh, I got Auburn to win, but Missouri to cover the 19 and a half. All right, interesting one here. Uh, Arkansas versus Texas A&M in Jerry's world. A&M's getting two and a half, or they're giving two and a half points to the two and a half point favor. So, first off, who wins? I think A&M. Oh, Okay. A&M wins. Do they cover? I think they do. I think the problem is the Arkansas offense is just that weak this year. They are. Um, they are. And I think that's the biggest thing. I think, don't think your defense is good enough either to slow down. I don't think A&M's all good, that good, but I think they're better than Arkansas this year. These are two very, very, very uh, below-average teams this year. I really believe that. Um, man, Arkansas has had trouble in this game since A&M's moved in the SEC. It's an old rivalry game. But Arkansas is coming off a bye week, the early bye week. And I still, I know their offense hasn't been great. I still think they have the advantage at quarterback 
when you're talking about Kellen Mond as a true freshman starter for a and The guy, he looked okay last week against Louisiana, but come on. Uh, he's he's still not quite there. He's a, he's a great throw with his legs, but throwing the football, I'm not sure I'm convinced he can do that against an SEC opponent, even if it is Arkansas. I don't think either team is very good, but I'm picking Arkansas straight up here to win this football game. So there's one difference that we got here. Uh, all right, outside the SEC, a couple games outside the SEC here. We've got NC State traveling to Tallahassee to take on Florida State. Florida State's a 13-point favorite in this one, Kurt. First off, who you got winning? I have Florida State winning, but I don't think they cover. So Florida State wins. They don't cover. Why don't they cover? Uh, Quarterback play. Yeah, man. Like You're, you're going to have James Blackman in his first game here, first real action as a true freshman against a very good NC State defense and a defense that is very, very skilled at getting after and harassing the passer. I'm with you. I think FSU wins, but I think it's closer than the experts think. I think the Wolfpack cover the 13 and make this a tight one in Tallahassee. I don't think James Blackman's ready to run away from anybody at this point. Uh, and, and what do we know about FSU? This one's hard. Like, okay, They played one game, and that was with largely with DeAndre Francois. They don't have Francois. And they haven't played any other games without him. So it's hard to really know what to expect in this one. Uh, but I'm still going to give them the edge overall at home. But NC State covers this one. All right, uh, next we're going to the Big 12, Big 12 country. Oklahoma State, one of my preseason picks for the college football playoff. Looking pretty good right now through three weeks. We'll see how that works out. But uh, Oklahoma State's at home against TCU, and they are giving 11 and a half points. So, how do you see this Oklahoma one? State, and I think they do cover. All right, so you got Oklahoma State straight up, and you got Oklahoma State to cover. Uh, look, man, I'm with you on this one. I don't want to be, but I am. Oklahoma State is on a collision course with Oklahoma for a spot in the college football playoff. I'm just telling you guys, they are. Those two teams are on a collision course. If you guys missed this stat, it's insane. Oklahoma State had four different wide receivers last week. With over 100 yards receiving. Four. Yeah, McCleskey, Washington, Aitman, and Stoner all had 100 yards receiving last year, last week. This offense is averaging 600 yards a game and 54 freaking points a game. That explosive? I mean, is that, is that enough for you? I mean, that's crazy. TCU has improved from where they were last year, but it comes down to it. I just trust Mason Rudolph and his merry band of wide receivers much more than I do Kenny Trill Hill. That's what it comes down to for me. So, yep, I got Oklahoma State to win and cover the 11 and a half. That offense looks scary right now. And finally, that brings us to the only game that really matters. The Mississippi State Bizarro Dogs are traveling to Athens to our neck of the woods to play between the hedges Saturday night. We are a five-point favorite in this game, Curtis. So first, give me the straight-up winner and give me who you got against the spread. I don't have, say it. Don't say it. Don't say I, it. I hate have Mississippi State winning. Really? Why? Why? I just don't have enough faith in our offense. I don't uh, know if we'll be able to sustain enough drives is my thing. That's not I mean, an unreasonable against, thing to even say. Even against subpar talent, we have shown that we're not consistent with sustaining drives. It's not an unreasonable thing to say. You also picked against Notre Dame, but you're a hater, man. You're a hater. It's, I mean, I'm you're trying to I mean, you got to think we're so close to losing Notre Dame. Games yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're one point away. I mean, yeah, we won great, but like, it wasn't like we won that game going away. 
No, and I and I think that you know the freshman and from I think he has moxie and everything. He has leadership. He, he I think he'll be a good quarterback. But he's still a freshman. He's going to make freshman mistakes, kind of like Sanford last week with the fumble and things. Against a good team like Mississippi State, that can change the game. I'm a little more optimistic than you in this one. I, I, I don't – I can't fault you for anything you just said. It's all reasonable. It all makes sense, and it can all absolutely play out. And I, and I would be lying if I didn't say I was somewhat concerned about this game. I am, and I've been worried about this off, all offseason. But do you think the fact that they put the beat down on LSU last week – does that work in our favor in this game at all? I think it does work in our favor, but I just don't know if we'll take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, I think by virtue of the fact that it opened eyes, our players see that. I mean, look, our guys are human, okay? They're young guys like anybody else, and they respect teams. They don't. I mean, Kirby and the coaching staff, they can do all the lip service they want. you got to respect every single opponent, but these guys are young. They, they don't, okay? They don't really necessarily respect every single opponent, and especially some of the younger guys. But when a, when a team just destroys a, a, a highly respected program like LSU, like, like Mississippi State did last week, 37-7, that's eye-opening, and that catches people's attention. And you, you can imagine Kirby and company were able to kind of have their full attention all week long in practice, and hopefully it was a good week of practice. I think it could potentially play in our favor. We'll see how that works out. Uh, but I'm more optimistic in this one than you, Kurt. Uh, my, I'm put, you guys know I do my confidence meter if you're new to the show. I, I just don't have it in me to ever pick against us, even if I think we're going to lose. I just can't put bring myself to say those words Georgia's going to lose. I, it's just like a sense of betrayal and my a little bit of, a little bit of me dies if I say that. So I just can't do it. So to kind of preserve uh, my intellectual uh, integrity here, I what do what I call my confidence meter. And I just kind of give you guys a feeling of how confident I am going into this game. So for me, I have my confidence meter at a seven. Uh, I contemplated a six for most of the week. So I'm kind of like between a six and a seven, six and a half ish, but I don't do half numbers. So I'm I'm gonna round up. I'm gonna say I'm I put the confidence meter at a seven. Uh, I know the LSU went open some eyes, and the the Mississippi State bandwagon is overflowing at this point. The Dead Mellon Love Fest, it has reached critical mass. And don't get me wrong, I've said it earlier on the show. Mississippi State is a good football team, and they're much improved over their five and seven campaign from a year ago. They deserve our respect. They absolutely do. But in a matchup of strength versus strength with their running game matched up against our front seven, I believe we are versatile and talented enough to slow them down at least enough to win this game. We can match up situationally, which is going to limit their ability to create the mismatches that Dan Mullen is constantly trying to create with his spread power-based offensive scheme. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons and company on the Mississippi State defensive line, they are talented and they are disruptive. But I'm not sure that they are positioned to take advantage of our size deficiency on the offensive line. They're good, but they're not overwhelmingly large, which is what's given us trouble. They are quick and athletic, but we fared just fine against those types those types of fronts in the last year or so. It's the big boys that give us so many problems, and that just isn't really what Mississippi State's defensive line is. And Jake Fromm, he's going to have to play big in this game, and, and that does give me some cause for concern because I do think he's going to have to play big for us to win this game. I think our front seven is going to have to play big, and Jake Fromm is going to have to play big. Um and I'm not sure if he's ready for that yet. I think he has it. He absolutely has it in him. I know he has it in him. But is he ready to play on that stage right now? He's going to have to prove that he is enough of a threat to loosen this Mississippi State defense up. Their secondary is respectable, but they're not dominant. And I, and I think Fromm and our wide receivers might just show everyone that our passing game is plenty good enough to get the job done. I think this might be a game where we see that kind of kind of – 
present itself for the first time all season. I could be totally wrong here. I mean, we could absolutely lose this football game. They, they are good enough to absolutely come in here and beat us. They are. But I think the matchups uh, work more so in our favor than they do against us in this one. So I'm going dogs here. I, to cover? Yeah, why not? Dogs cover. So uh, that might be a little bit of a difference there. Kurt, dude, you're a hater, man. Disappointed in you, dude. Just disappointed. But sorry, right, you got to go with what your gut tells you. I got you. I got you. All right, guys. Well, that does it for us here today on the Glory UJ Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed the preview here. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the game. See where you agree and disagree. So hit us up on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can also email us, GloryUJPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, it's going to be a great one, guys. Hope everyone gets a chance to make it out. If not, hope you have a great Saturday watching football. Man, we got to live these Saturdays up while they're here because they'll be gone before we know it, man. Um, well, guys, we do appreciate you listening. We always appreciate that. We really do appreciate the support. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, go dogs. Get it done. <laughs>